0: Well good morning. Welcome to TBA Church. It's great to be with you this morning as we continue in our series called The Elephant in the Church. And I know we've talked about some hard topics lately. If we as we've looked at some really serious issues that the church faces today. Issues that are destructive in nature, issues that are really tearing churches apart and rendering them ineffective. Issues that most people don't want to talk about. They really don't want to face them. That's why I They're called elephants in the church. But as hard as they are to talk about, I believe they are things that we need to address. They're things that we need to take a hard look at in our own lives, and things we need to look at here at TBA Church. Because if we don't address them, if we don't take them head on, then we'll never accomplish the mission that God has for us. You know what that mission is, right? Sherry just said it in our announcements. We are living sent to be the hands and feet of Jesus to impact the community and world around us by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the basic mission of every church. We have been commanded by Christ to go and make disciples, to be salt and light in the world around us. But to be honest, I don't think the church is making much of a difference. It's not making that big of an impact in our country anymore. I know there has always been evil in the world, And there's no atrocity that hasn't already been committed by man. But at least here in America, there always seemed to be this sense of direction influenced by God's word. Maybe I'm just naive about it, but as a kid growing up, I always felt like, for the most part, our country carried a Christian moral narrative. But as I've gotten older, and again, maybe it's just because I'm more perceptive with age, It seems like we've lost our moral compass in this country. I mean, things that were outright condemned 50 years ago are not only accepted today, but they're mainstream and they're encouraged. And honestly, the rhetoric of racial divide, hatred, and violence that has taken center stage in our country makes me fear for the future and the direction we're headed. And I believe things are the way that they are because Christians have lost their saltiness. We've lost our influence in this country. Jesus said we are the salt of the earth, meaning that we're the preservative that keeps this world from rotting. And he said if we lose our saltiness, then we're not good for anything anymore. And I believe that's what's happening in churches all around our country. We have churches filled with unsalty Christians, and churches are failing. They're failing at their mission Studies from groups like LifeWay Research and Barna show that churches are rapidly declining in America. 93%, listen to this, 93% of churches in America did not add a single new member last year outside of those that were born into the church from parents currently attending. And of those young people who are raised as evangelical, the majority of them are quitting the church and often the faith entirely. In the last five years, 10,000 churches in America closed their doors forever. Attendance in church is at an all-time low, and it continues to decline. The latest statistics say that less than 20% of Americans attend church on any consistent basis. And the percentage of those who claim a Christian affiliation has dropped 33% in the last five years. Barna's research group found that the typical church believer will die the typical church believer will die without leading a single person to a life-saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and that the majority of believers don't have a specific person in mind for whom they are praying for in the hopes that that person will be saved as well as the fact that most church Christians believe that since they're not gifted in evangelism that outreach isn't their responsibility We're failing. We're failing in our mission. Why? Why are we failing? I believe it's the biggest elephant in our church today. I believe that all the elephants that we've been talking about, comparison, hypocrisy, conflict, compromise, sexual sin, all those things, all of it stems from this elephant of apathy. The majority of those who claim to be Christians are apathetic towards God and his mission and purpose. We have become so individualistic in nature and theology, there is no real interest outside of our own desires. There's no real interest in winning souls or helping with the needs of others. That's the definition of apathy. It's a lack of feeling or emotion. It's impassiveness. It's a lack of interest or concern. It's indifferent. When somebody isn't interested in the important things that are happening, they're indifferent to them. And unfortunately, this isn't something that's new to the church. Jesus addressed this when he wrote his letters to the seven churches in Revelation. One church in particular was suffering from apathy. It was a church of Laodicea. And I want to read the letter that Jesus wrote to this church. And if you want to read along with me, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 14. And Jesus says this, write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen. Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, Gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. Also buy white garments for me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. See, Laodicea has the grim distinction of being the only church of the seven that Jesus didn't have anything good to say about. There was nothing good going on at that church. They were apathetic, ineffective, and blinded by their wealth. Because of, its major posi- because of its position on the major highways of travel, Laodicea became a very wealthy city. They were a major banking city. People invested their gold there. They had so much gold and they were so rich that when an earthquake destroyed the city in 60 AD, they refused money that Rome tried to send them to rebuild the city. They said, don't worry, we got it. We can take care of it. Another thing that Laodicea prided itself on was its wool production. It became famous for its wool industry. Their major product was this real soft wool that had a glossy black color, and they'd export it all over the region. They were also famous for a medical school. One of the things the medical school did was it developed this salve for your eyes, and people from all over the world came and got the salve to put on their eyes for healing and comfort. So Laodicea was the city that kind of had everything going on, but they had one major flaw, and it was their water supply. See, the only real option for water for them was to bring it from a distant hot spring via underground aqueducts. And by the time the water got to the city, it was lukewarm. It wasn't hot, and it wasn't cold. It was tepid, and it tasted horrible due to the impurities that came from the hot spring. And so you can kind of see how this imagery that Jesus is using in this letter, how it would have been received by the people in Laodicea. He's saying, hey, that gold that you depend so much on, that wool that you're so proud of, that famous eye salve, it's all worthless. It's worthless. Your wealth and your success has blinded you and made you indifferent to what really matters. You're all about yourself so much that you've become indifferent, apathetic, to the needs of others around you. You've missed the mission of sharing the gospel so much so that you're worthless. You're as worthless as that nasty water you drink every day. See, I believe that this is where a lot of churches and a lot of Christians are in America today. We are so rich here in America, we are so rich, we don't need anything. We have the ability to constantly fill our lives with every form of distraction. And we're distracted from the mission that God has given each and every one of us. We're so rich that we have first world problems. Problems that we think are a huge deal but would seem silly to somebody from Honduras. I mean, think about it. What are the things that we concern ourselves with? Posting and reading posts on fake book? Making sure our selfie gets sufficient likes, finding out what show we're going to binge on to watch on Netflix, sports, vacation, television, movies, video games, hobbies. The distractions are endless. They're endless. And there isn't anything inherently wrong with those things, but the danger is it all becomes about us. See, we've become so individualistic and so self-absorbed that we no longer see our need for real Christian community. Community that is God-designed to help us grow in relationship with him. Relationship that keeps us accountable to his mission. And so being a part of a church body has become optional. And for those who do attend church, a large majority of them remain uninvolved unwilling to move from their comfortable seat at the buffet of consumerism. Did you know that churches in China and around the world, they have to meet secretly, hidden, underground, for fear of imprisonment, public beating, or worse, execution? But yet in the face of all that, they still meet. They still meet. And we, who can meet openly and freely upon... Any Sunday, we wake up and decide not to attend church because we're tired or we've just had too much going on or it doesn't fit in our schedule or we just need a break from our hectic week. It's crazy. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be legalistic about your church attendance, but honestly, where are our priorities? Why does the average committed Christian only attend church 1.8 times a month? Why are churches struggling to get volunteers to commit to even the basic of ministries? Why are churches struggling financially? Why does 20% of the church carry 80% of the burden, both financially and serving? We've become indifferent and apathetic towards God. God has become secondary in our thoughts, our talents, our resources, and our time. In his book, Not a Fan, Kyle Eidemann talks about the difference between a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. He says that churches today are full of fans. Fans who cheer for him when things are going well, but walk away when it's difficult. Fans who sit safely in the stands cheering, but they know nothing of the sacrifice and pain of the field. Fans of Jesus who know all about him, but they don't know him. See, Jesus was never interested in having fans. He wants followers. Kyle goes on to say that the biggest threat, the biggest threat to the church today are fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. And I believe he's right. We just want our warm and fuzzy feelings. We want to come, our 1.8 Sundays a month, drop a couple of bucks in the offering, sing our worship songs, hear a message that encourages us, and go home and say, I did my part. I did my part. But the whole while ignoring the fact that there are people around us who without the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ will go to hell for eternity. I'm going to be brutally honest here. This stuff just blows my mind. People are dying all around us. Literally dying. Not physically, no, it's much, much worse than that. They are dying spiritually, and they will suffer eternal punishment if somebody doesn't step in. And we don't get involved because of what? It's too inconvenient? Because I don't have enough time in my schedule? Because the church isn't a fit for me. They don't have the kind of worship I like or the programs that I need. I don't really like the speaker. Their messages are too shallow, too challenging, too topical, too whatever. The church doesn't do things the way I think it should be done. It's crazy to me. If we actually saw people walking towards a huge pit full of lava, we would do everything in our power to stop them from walking into that pit. Would we not? We wouldn't stop to check our schedules to see if we had time to do it. We wouldn't worry about how we stop them or what it costs to stop them. We would do whatever it takes to stop them. And there are things much, much worse than physical death happening. Why are we so indifferent to it? How did we get so far away from God's purpose in our lives? I believe it's because we've forgotten. We've forgotten who God is. Right after the letter to the church of Laodicea in chapter four of Revelation, John begins to describe worship of God in heaven. And he does his best to put it in words, but my guess is he was at a loss as what to say because he was blown away by the awesome power of God's presence. But he describes the scene of God sitting on the throne shining brilliantly with light and color all around them. Thunder and lightning are flashing all about. All attention in heaven, all attention in heaven is directed solely to God. And then there are these 24 elders clothed in white with gold crowns, sitting on thrones that surround God. Who are the 24 elders? Well, that's been debated a lot, but most agree they're a representation of us, the church, the redeemed. And then you have these magnificent created beings that are praising God day and night, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who is and is to come. And as they are praising God, the 24 elders fall down and worship God. And whenever the living beings gave glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne. The one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. They weren't worried about their schedules, they didn't make any excuses, they weren't preoccupied with themselves. They weren't concerned about their own holiness, their honor, or even their reward. Everything pales into insignificance and becomes meaningless in the light of God's glory. We have lost our fear and awe of God. We've lost our respect for the creator of the universe. We abuse his name without thought. I'm amazed at how flippantly we take God's name in vain. If you say, oh my God, or you're texting OMG, you are disrespecting the name that is above all names. And you better check yourself. Because if we really understood, if we really understood who God is, That He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last, the creator of all things, the one true living God who holds all of creation together with a single word. He's all knowing, He's all powerful, He's our provider, He's our comforter, He's the sustainer of our soul, He is our salvation. He's the Lord God Almighty. And if we understood it, if we had awe and respect for who God is, there would be no issue of apathy. There would be no question about being 100% committed. We would do everything in our power to be a part of his worship. We would do everything in our power to be a part of his family and to be a part of his mission. We would adjust our lives to his purpose. We would adjust our lives to his purpose, not the other way around. We have forgotten who God is. And we have forgotten the voice of the Holy Spirit. We are apathetic because we've stopped listening to the Holy Spirit and have allowed other voices to speak into our lives. Brian talked about this last week. We are living with a divided heart And we've compromised ourselves with this world and a cultural theology that says there is no standard by which to judge. Just pick and choose what you want to be obedient to. We've allowed the voices of this world, the cultural morality, to drown out the spirit of truth and dictate to us what is right and what is wrong. John 6 8 says this And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment when the spirit of truth comes he he will guide us into all truth we've lost our guide we've lost the knowledge of what truth is we are so comfortable with our sin that we no longer hear the conviction that is being shouted at us we ignore it and we put it aside and we continue on with our own selfish desires, yet the whole time, the whole time we're being shackled by the enemy, and we've become a slave to our sin, and the burden of it, and the consequences of it, are crushing the very spiritual life out of us. Some of us need to wake up. We need to wake up and pay attention. Because if you're at a point in your life where you're ignoring the Holy Spirit and you don't hear Him anymore, you're walking a very dangerous, dangerous path. The writer of Hebrews says this, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover our sins. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume His enemies. For if anybody refused to obey the law of Moses, they were put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. We've lost his voice. And this verse leads into the last reason I think we're apathetic and we've forgotten the cost of Christ's sacrifice. This is the one that gets me the most. This is the one I think we take for granted the most. I mean, this whole series, everything that we've been talking about, including what we're talking about today, all of this stuff would be non-issues if we understood the immense sacrifice, the incalculable cost, the depth of love and grace and mercy that was poured out on the cross for you and me. It wouldn't be an issue. The, the, petty, the petty conflict that we have with each other, our unhappiness with decisions that the church makes, our excuses, they would all be meaningless if we understood the depth of the cost of Christ's blood. But we're apathetic towards God. And if we're apathetic and not listening to the Holy Spirit, then we're trampling on the cross. And we're treating His blood as if it was common and unholy. We're spitting in the face of the God. Can you imagine that? The blood of Christ, common and unholy. Let it never be. Let it never be. First Peter 1 Peter 1:18 says for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors and it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value it was the precious blood of Christ the sinless spotless lamb of God the shedding of that blood in death was the price for our sins that Christ paid he literally poured out his blood in a sacrificial offering of his life. And in doing so, he bought us. He bought us and purchased our redemption. He didn't have to do it, he chose to do it. Jesus said, No man takes my life for me, I lay my life down. And so, therefore, we have been called to live a life worthy of his sacrifice, not out of guilt not out of obligation, not out of fear of retribution, but out of love. Because of the amazing love of Christ, we should be running in his direction, not dragging our feet, willing to do whatever he asks of us, whenever he asks it of us. Not making excuses, not checking our schedules. We should be running full force, jumping all in, 100% committed into his loving arms. And we would if we understood the cost of his blood. If we understood the cost, nothing, and I mean nothing, would get in the way of accomplishing his mission. So, what do we do? How do we turn all this around? Well, let's look at what Jesus says to the church of Laodicea. Here's his plea to them He says, Look, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice, open the door open the door and I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches we've got to open the door and we've got to let him in and I mean every door every door in our lives every area of our lives has to be open to Jesus and the truth of the Holy Spirit So real quickly, let me give you three things to do that. Here's the first. We have to sign up for slavery. When you become a follower of Jesus, we enter into a master-slave relationship. We're in a master-slave relationship. And there are two Greek words used in the New Testament that show that. The first one is kurios, which is translated to Lord. Jesus is called kurios or Lord some hundred times in Scripture. And Kyrios has come to represent the deity of Jesus and was used to translate the Hebrew word of Yahweh into Greek. But it also means, it also means master or owner of the slave. The second word is Dulios, and that word is used to describe a follower. And it's used about 130 times in the New Testament. And it's often translated into the word servant. But a more accurate translation of the word would be slave. And a slave was a common word used in Jesus' time for follower. Peter, Paul, John, Timothy, Jude, all of them, all of them called themselves a slave of Jesus Christ. And I believe that without question, people in Jesus' time would have understood that that word meant slave, not servant. Because there's a huge difference A servant works for somebody. A slave is owned by somebody. Were we not bought by the blood of Christ? We were. And therefore, we are slaves to him when we accept the invitation to follow him and deny ourselves. See, we think of slavery as something you're forced into, but Jesus invites us into that slavery. He invites us into that slavery and tells us that we need to deny ourselves. In Luke 9, 23, he said, If anybody would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, this idea of denying yourself, it's not just saying no to yourself or even resisting yourself. It's that you don't even acknowledge that you recognize your own existence. Following Jesus is not a negotiation. If we try to follow him without denying ourselves, then we're just trying to compartmentalize our lives. Areas that we don't want him to have access to. I mean, we say, I'll follow Jesus, but he can't have control of all of my life. I mean, don't expect me to forgive those people who hurt me because they don't deserve that. Don't ask me to save sex for marriage because, well, I just can't help the desires that are within me. Don't ask me to tithe. I worked hard for that money. I'm sorry. It just doesn't work that way. There are no exception clauses. You don't get to say, I'll follow Jesus, but when it comes to this area of my life, well, I'm just going to do things my own way. If you call yourself a Christian, then by definition, you are a slave to Christ and you're committing to following him in every area of your life. A slave has no rights. A slave has no possessions to call their own. A slave doesn't get time off or doesn't get to clock out at the end of the day. A slave doesn't get to negotiate. Following Christ means denying yourself. It means saying, I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus over my family. I choose Jesus over money. I choose Jesus over career goals. I choose Jesus over getting drunk, over porn, over material things. I choose Jesus over entertainment, over busyness, over comfort, over preference, over what other people think of me. I choose Jesus over my freedom because I signed up for slavery. And following him means getting up every single day and making a decision to allow him to be the master of your life. Allowing him complete control of everything and denying yourself even if it costs you everything we have to sign up for slavery and second we've got to fall in love with God's word the curse of the church has been her apathy to truth far too long we've allowed others to tell us what is true and have allowed too many voices in And the only cure for that, the only cure for that is to tune back into the source of truth that is found in God's word. And I know we say this to you all the time and I wish I could just shove it in you but God's word is essential for your life. It brings life. It gives direction, purpose and meaning to everything we do. It's the nutrient rich food that grows us spiritually and without it we will starve to death. If we knew how life-giving his word was, we would never leave it on a shelf. We'd have such reverence for it. We'd have such respect for it. It would be a part of our everyday lives. It would be more precious to us than food and water. See, there are people in China who literally give up their lives to have one or two pages of scripture they give up their lives to have one or two pages of scripture and then they memorize it because they never want to lose it. And we have God's word here in America in every language and in, in every format, paperback, hardback, electronically, our phones carry it with us everywhere we go. You don't even have to read it, the app will read it to you. We have immediate access anytime anywhere. We have no excuses. We have no excuses for not being in his word. Be in his word. Just do it. Get in his word. And here's the last thing I'd say to you, and Ben, you guys can come up now. Get in the fight. Get in the fight. Most people don't seek anything with eagerness, especially not spiritual life. They amble through life, and they float, and they coast, and they're spiritually listless. They're captive to spiritual apathy and it's killing the church. And Paul says eternal life isn't given to those who don't seek. It's not given to those who sit on the sidelines. It's given to those who seek it out. He says in Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. We've got to wake up. We have to wake up, get in the game, get in the fight. We have have a mission to accomplish and God's plan is to accomplish that mission through his people. There is no plan B. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no plan B. It is through us that mission will be accomplished. We have to be a church that's acting as the hands and feet of Jesus. And when I say we, I mean you and me. This church TBA has to be a church that's actively bringing hope and salvation to a world that desperately needs it. We have to be a church that is actively devoting ourselves to living for God's purpose and plan, adjusting our lives to his plan. We have to be a church that comes together collectively in unity and uses our immense resources of time, talent and finances to accomplish amazing things for God's glory. There is a world dying around us. Your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, they're all going to suffer eternal punishment if we don't do something about it. Does this weigh heavily on your heart? Does it? Because if it doesn't, then you need to check yourself because it should. It weighs heavily on me. The church in America is going to die if we don't find our passion for God again. People here in Lakeland are going to die if we don't find our passion for God again. There is no more time. There is no tomorrow. There are no more excuses. Either you're in or you're out. Which side do you want to be on when you have to stand before God? Let's pray. Father, first of all, I just want to ask for your forgiveness, Lord. God, forgive us for not living the way that you require us to. God, that we take for granted the cost and the sacrifice of your son. God, that we allow so many distractions in our life. Lord, forgive us for not accomplishing your mission. God, I know you've put this before us. You've put it in our hands. You've trusted us to do it. God, I'm asking that we would remove anything that keeps us from knowing who you are, from listening to your Holy Spirit and for living a life that is worthy of your son's sacrifice. Help us to be moved to do that. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.